0: You are the lead singer of Level 42. Now you jump into what Stuart Copeland has described as a supper group, Gizmodrome.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it. I think there's one. Yeah, that's it. That's, it, it is a supper group because we like to hang out and eat. And uh, uh, it's great fun to hang with these guys, all of them. you know. I've known Stuart for many years now, um, going back to early 80s. In fact, our very first time as Level 42 into Europe was um, on the back of the police. We we opened for them on five or six shows in uh, in Germany back in 1981. So we became friends then, and then we did a little something for uh, a charity TV thing in '85. And when he, when he, he got in touch um, just over a year ago, July uh, 2016, and said, uh, "Hey Marco, do you want to cut a record in Milan?" <laughs> which sounded pretty good to me. So um, I said, yeah, straight away. And we went over there. And that was when I met Adrian Ballou, who is just the sweetest guy. And, of course, off the scale as a brilliant guitarist, you know. And also Vittorio Cosma, who is uh, a a serious sort of heavyweight in the prog world um, with with the band PFM from back in the 70s and uh, 80s. And we just sat in the studio, just like real old school things, you know, none of this, everybody sitting in their own country and exchanging files. This was just old school, get in a studio, sit down, kick some ideas around. And Stuart and Vittorio had been working on some ideas, so we have plenty of uh, material to get stuck into. And uh, the result is Gizmodrome and the album, which is uh, coming out next week.
0: I cannot wait for the album. I've been playing several of the tracks. People love this album already. You have to be pretty excited about it.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm really excited, you know. And I'm an old dude now. I'm 58 years old, and, I, and I've been dead lucky in the, in the business now for the last 38 years or so. So for me, you know that this is this is really just a bonus, and if the, you know the fact that people like what we're doing, making music, well, that's that's the that's just cherries on the top of what is already a lovely cake, you know, and to have had the fun that we had together making this, and uh, and now to be getting great, you know, lovely reports, and thank you for your kind words there. Um, it, it's, it's only, it's a win-win situation for me, Steve.
0: Now, did you actually think you guys were going to be a band or were you just playing random tracks for Stuart? You know, cause he's pretty sneaky.
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad you said that, you know, that. um, well, Steve's, uh, uh Steve, uh, Stuart's very much the driving force <laughs> in this project. Uh, you know, that he's the guy that, that's put us together and, uh, you know, I was definitely calling the shots on when we can do all of this, but I think we, we, we we sort of first went in the studio. We had ten days together in July of 2016. Mm-hmm. Then we all went away and sort of thought about the tracks and what have you. And, and we came to the conclusion that we really needed, you know, two or three more songs just to make, uh, you know, just to, to make the give the album some strength and some legs and stuff. And that and when we got back in the studio about April of this year, I think that that's when it went from being just a, a like a Stuart Copeland project, to to becoming a band because everyone was having equal input. And, you know, Adrian had come up with an idea that would kick off an idea that Victoria would have and, and so on and so forth. And that's that's when a band is working at its best.
0: Now, with that, each coming from a, a different band and different background, how hard or easy was it for the four of you to sit down and say, I like it this way, we should try it that way?
1: It, it was unbelievably easy you know that um you're talking about a lot of egos here but i think that the egos have all been tempered by the respect that we have for each other as um you know as musicians and what we've done in the past so that you know th- when you respect somebody, you it, it's much easier to sort of to bite your tongue for a second and have a listen because you know that what they're saying isn't, just, they're not just saying something. They're, they're, they're actually, there's a the reason why they're saying it, and it's very probably going to be a great idea. So, you know, that you, uh, yeah, that's it. You, you sort of, you, you put your ego away for a bit there and, uh, uh, you know, and just jump on the horse with everyone else.
0: Now, are you sure it wasn't wine and pasta that got the CD done? <laughs>
1: well i'm certainly I'm certainly a bigger man <laughs> than I was before I started this album um you know that it has to be said that Italian food takes some beating, and if you're sitting in the heart of Milan um you know each day would start beautifully with us breakfasting together in a piazza just outside the hotel and um then we'd go into the studio we'd sort of mooch across town, go into the studio lay the, lay down some tracks, and then uh, then hit the town for for another amazing dinner and stuff so yeah it's it 's gentlemanly prog punk is probably how <laughs> put down this whole project
0: now have you seen any of uh, Stuart's, some of his promotional Facebook live performances? Have you had the chance?
1: No, I haven't done that. Actually, is this um, what 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 am I looking for here?
0: Uh, so with that, so he went on Facebook Live. So he's doing some live videos, and I was trying to do that with him as well. And I was watching him play; he is having the time of his life. So I thought perhaps when the four of you got together, it was literally the same thing.
1: It it, it was, um, you know that it, it's it's just been a you know it has been an awful lot of fun and. I think the the very fact that the music that we're making together is also floating our boat big time, mm-hmm. um, you know, that just makes it, uh, that makes it an absolute joy. So, you know, Stuart's a very gregarious guy, um, you know, and I, I don't know any drummer uh, th- who doesn't really rate Stuart Copeland as, you know, as one of the great drummers, because he certainly is. He's very unique. He's original. When he plays, you know, it's him playing. Um, you know, a man's such a gift. Uh, you know, after all these years, you still know it's Stu on the drums there. So, uh, you know, I started out as a drummer. Drums yeah. mean a lot to me. Adrian Ballou started out as a drummer. Right. And Torio Cosma's a a cracking drummer himself. You know, so there's a a good uh, a, a, a good sort of history of rhythm in this band, and that uh, that that pumps through. I think you know you can hear this
0: now. Knowing that all four of you are drummers, maybe you guys should have a single with just four drummers. That's it. Well, that's uh, that's getting very spinal tap. I think. Hey, at least you understood the joke. That's great. Yeah, 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 for sure.
1: No, that's that's wonderful. I mean, could you imagine the the audience's face if you say well, we're going to do a fifteen minute drum experiment? Now, you know, a jazz odyssey or something, and it's all drums.
0: Oh. Oh my God, that is too funny. Now, with you being a traditionally a vocalist and lead singer, so now you got Stuart stepping up in front. What were your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I tell you, I, that the way that Stu delivers the the lines and uh, you know the lyrics, uh, I could never do that the way he does it. And he has this this strange, Bill Callahan, come right. Tom Waits, come <laughs> Frank Zappa way of delivering of delivering his lines. And it, you know, I'll tell you how it works: is that there, there's one there's one track. Uh, what the hell was it called here? I'm just uh, seeing if I can look down this list here of. Uh, I uh, can't see it. But anyway, there's one thing, and I, I, which I, an idea I brought in. And once I, laid, I sort of played it to the guy, Stu started rummaging through his briefcase and pulled out this big wadge of lyrics. And he said, get me in there, get the mic open. And he just started sort of reeling out this stuff. And it's, it's great because it only sounds like him, you know, and it's uh, the, the the sort of the guys that I mentioned earlier on, that that seems to be the influence. So if you want to try and get a mental picture of how he sounds, that's it. And there's no way I could do that, and uh, Adrian says exactly the same, you know. We can sing conventional stuff, right. but the way that Stu delivers it is very, very different. And now, the,
0: the one that I think you're talking about is Summer's Coming, that one? Yeah, that's it, yeah. That, I love that. When I put that on, I've known Stewart for several years. He's been on my show many times, and I thought, my myself, I remember him in uh, Clark Kent, which was early police and stuff, so if anybody that's going to now Google that, going, what is Clark Kent? Uh, and that's what I thought it was. I thought, my God, Clark Kent has come back to life. Well, there is there's, there's certainly
1: Clark Kent in there, too, and I know that... Um, uh, I know that the Foo Fighters are, were, were also fans of Clark Kent yep. and dragged Stewart up on stage when they're sort of in town to come up and do his Clark Kent persona. And, uh, yeah, it, um, that's what we did back in 1985, is that, that we played this song on this children's ch- uh, charity TV show, uh, Children in Need. For, for uh, a very famous guy over here called Terry Wogan, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was that was also an incarnation of Clark Kent, which which very often sees Stuart right down the front on a microphone with a guitar around his neck. So when we when we're going to be playing this stuff live and taking out live, which I'm very very excited about doing. Uh, you know, uh, towards the end of this year into the next year. Uh, We're going to take out Level 42's drummer, a guy called Pete Ray Biggin, who's an amazing kid. Uh Uh, If if you want to see some guy with some great chops on drums, uh, go and check him out on YouTube on on Level 42 stuff, because he's a a force of nature. Stuart absolutely adores his playing, so we're going to have a combination of two drummers, for sure, so that when Stu fancies getting on the kit, he's going to get there and, and beat the living daylights out of it, as you would expect. And when he's up front with a guitar around his neck, a la Clark Kent, right. um, uh, only now in Gizmodrome, you're going to be uh, seeing Pete banging the drums.
0: Now, we have seen through history, musical history, drummers want to be lead singers. Lead singers want to be drummers. Do you want to go behind the kit one more time?
1: I can play. Uh, it's all right. No, I, 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 I don't want to show Stuart up. You know, <laughs> It will be terrible to have to step back when he got behind <laughs> I know Stuart will take that in the spirit, <laughs>
0: intended. <laughs> that is too so fun, because I asked him about sitting next to you in the studio, you being having one of those those vocals from the 80s and 90s. I mean, you're one of the great vocalists of all time, and here in America, I can't believe you don't have 20 top 10 hits here.
1: Well, that's very kind of you. I, I wish I could, um, I'm just going to, just enjoy what you said then and say for the moment, thank you. It's a you know, I'm 58 years old now, and it's the first time anybody's ever said that. So,
0: thank you no, it's whenever your level 42 is requested, you would not believe how much it is requested on uh, some of my other shows. Every week, it's non stop. Plus, I've got a Sunday show that I have over in UK, and right there, we talk about you and your voice.
1: Oh. Well that's that's very sweet of you. Thanks, man. I think the thing is, right, is that I was very lucky and that the the guys that I was working with in level forty two and still work with today by the right. way. Um, you know, were were very Very good musicians and um, really strong songwriters. So it's the same as with the Gizmodrome stuff. It comes down to you know how strong the songs are, and a good song is always going to be a good song. And even if you get a Foghorn Freddy like me picking Mm -hmm. the mic up, um, you know it's pretty hard to 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 damage it. So if you got a song like something about you, um, you know, or Lessons in Love, or you know, any of the the
0: It's Over is the one that gets requested. Those are the those are the two songs right there. Yeah, so.
1: yeah. Well, that, you know, they, they were good songs, and uh, you know, and they still are today. And and uh, I love playing them. We're, we've we've got another show tomorrow night mm-hmm. in London at uh, Dingwalls in Camden, so uh, I'm looking forward to that too.
0: Now, when you look back to your level forty-two days, are there tracks that that you thought, "Wow, that should have been a number one hit," and it wasn't, and vice versa, a song that just took off, and you went, "Well, that was a surprise."
1: Yeah, it, it it sort of goes like that, Steve. You know, it, it seems to me that you know sometimes when when you're when you're in the studio putting an album together, you, you, the zeitgeist is there, and you mm-hmm. sort of hit the moment and the mood. You're not you're not aware of it yourself until the record comes out, and you start getting feedback, and this things start going up the charts, and you realise that you know in hindsight, when you look back, you think, yeah, we sort of really hit a rich scene then. Um, that we somehow had our finger on the pulse of what was happening, or, or if we didn't have our finger on the pulse, certainly everybody else was checking our pulse, right. because, um, you know, the, the the records just kept going bang, 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 which is, uh, you know, a lovely thing. But, uh, you know, that the, the, the nature of music is, is that you want the next generation to come along, pick up the baton that hopefully you've been passing on, right. and run with it, you know, and, and more great music is made. And so that's the beautiful thing about music, one, it's timeless, two, it needs development all the time, mm-hmm. and three, I can't wait to hear what the next generation gonna be doing, you know, because I think music's in good hands these days.
0: With that in mind, who did you listen to? Who was your influence?
1: Well, you know, I started as an eight-year-old um, back to the drums again, and, and I, so I love Cream because I love Ginger oh. Baker and yeah. Jack Bruce the way they played together. And then, you know, I discovered Jimi Hendrix, and then from Jimi Hendrix, an epiphany when I was fourteen years old was seeing the Mahavishnu Orchestra play, mm. and that suddenly turned me into this whole new field of fusion. Uh, so, with the Mahavishnu Orchestra and Return to Forever, and Miles Davis, all the the guys that came out of his college. Um, you know, and yet at the same time, trying to make a living as a musician in the UK, you, you, know, you couldn't go out and play Bitches Brew right. in the holiday camps. You'd be playing Thai, Yellow Ribbon and Beatles songs and things like that. So you, as a musician, you get a great grounding, all these influences coming in from your side of the pond, the stuff that we've grown up with here as sort of classic British pop. And somewhere along the line, you, you, you hopefully develop your own style out of this.
0: Now, your band, Level 42, has been described here in the States as British Funk, which I'm not sure how that works, but you've almost been around. Level 42 was, what, late 70s? Are you coming up on 40 years with that band?
1: Uh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, this is this is actually my 37th year in Level 42. We we, we began really in 1980. Uh, okay. That was when we had our first record released, and, and we got together sort of just the Christmas at the end of 79, and we were very lucky because two of the guys in the band, Boone Gould and his brother Phil Gould, that was the guitarist and drummer, mm-hmm. respectively, their elder brother, John, um, worked in MCA Records. And he had access to this guy called Andy Soika, who had his own label. And um, this was back sort of just post-punk, the whole punk thing from 76 to 80 was, mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. was kind, of, had kind of run its course. And, but what what it had given us were all these wonderful indie labels, these independent labels. And they were the guys that were giving bands like us a chance because they, you know, you could go in with them and they'd cut a record and you'd get it out. And if it went, it went. If it didn't, it didn't. And we were lucky because our stuff started going.
0: Now with the explosion of the British Invasion, we call it the second British Invasion from MTV, was there a lot of pressure to put out singles in the 80s?
1: Well, there there was because... You know, what happens is, for example, us here in the U.K., the, the album that we had out that year, Running in the Family, mm-hmm. um, we, we did very well for Polydor Records. And, you know, that they, these big companies, they're not there just to, uh, you know, to take pumps on things. They actually need to be making money and stuff. So I think that we were, uh, you know, we we were very useful to the record company at that time. And that, uh, you know, so, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> I would think, you know, with the explosion of Duran Duran and videos and everything that went on, there had to be some sense of pressure on the British side. Us, as Americans, looking at you going, oh, mate, you guys, you got it easy.
1: Well, you know, it was really tough because the what, what happened was, was, with bands like Duran Duran and Spandau Valley and whatnot, these guys were spending like a million dollars plus yeah. on a yeah. on, on the... The music videos. So the record companies were kind of pressured to. You had to keep up, and it's very hard to. It's hard to make a, a cheap video look expensive. You just had to spend the money back then. So that you know, I remember we we went and we did a load of money um, in New Orleans. We mm-hmm. had to. We, we spent a whole week there and shot two videos in New Orleans, and it was really all about um, competing with everybody else because MTV was the new thing. That yep. was now the yep. window on the world and how you promoted your your music. And the great thing about a promotional video was is that you could release it. We could be in the States Touring with Madonna or uh, Steve Winwood or or, uh, Tina Turner, but we could still be having um, singles out in Germany and France and Japan because you'd have a promotional video out there. So the single, you could still get on the music shows, and it was an important tool, Steve.
0: So now, as you keep talking about in your 50s, uh, now as your tour. Here in America, the bands that are coming back from the 80s and 90s, the, you would not believe how crazy people are going for that kind of music here, and you know I have a listenership in the u k and Germany which is like blows my mind that I have that many people that listen to this show. so when you hit the stage, are you going are you planning on coming back to the states as level forty two
1: well, I would love to do that the last time we, we toured there was in two thousand ten, and um uh, you know we just love touring in america as I explained earlier on, you know yeah. that our our heritage, our musical heritage, really comes from America. So, you know, for us, it's, it's kind of taking Coles to Newcastle mm. and a bit of a pilgrimage. So um, I'd love to bring the band back over there, you know, so maybe we can get a promoter interested that, if the Gizmodome thing really kicks off down the line. But, you know, Steve, you said about how popular the 80s music yeah. is and, and that whole catalogue and the artists and whatnot. Um, it's, it's the same here in the UK. We've just had an incredible summer of festivals here and three of the festivals we played were called uh, Rewind, and they're very much yep. 80s-themed yep. festivals. These places do like 40,000 people on a weekend, and, it's, um, and we played three of them, you know, and they were all even just people dressed up. The, the demographic's great because it goes from sort of mid-20s right, right up to guys in their 70s. Everybody seems to be dressed up in themes or something from the <laughs> 1980s, and a lot of fun is had.
0: Right, right. I was talking to, I had the pleasure of having Tony Hadley from Spandau. Uh, on on my show. He's been on tour and we talked about pulling out the 80s clothes that he wore. uh, I can only hope that you still have some of yours.
1: Well, they do. They smell very mildewy, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) And it's hard keeping the moths away so they're... uh, (laughs) There's the odd hole in them. But the... Um, no, I don't I don't actually wear the old 80s clothes, Steve, but I, the thing is, I do have some, because there are just some things that, uh, you know, that, that meant a lot to you, and so it just goes into a suit hanger, and maybe one day I'll, I'll get it out, you know, and throw the bats out and hedgehogs, and, uh, go. and just see how they stand up. The thing is, I don't think I could get one leg in a pair of pants anymore, <laughs> let alone my whole weight.
0: <laughs> well, you could grow your mullet out. How about that? <laughs> oh, yeah, mullets. Nope. Yeah, you got you got to bring that back. And, Tony, and, and it's kind of funny that uh, you brought up Spandau Ballet. That would be a great duet, you and Tony singing together. Just just thinking of your two different voices.
1: Oh, Tony, uh, you know, Tony's been a friend of mine for years, yep. and, and he's the loveliest guy, and we yep. cross paths very often because he's, um, you know— it, it, He doesn't just sort of sing spandard stuff. He's a great standalone guy, and he does swing. You know, he he sings in front of big bands and in front of orchestras and things like that. And I'm always impressed. In fact, back in the 80s, um, I was lucky enough to get to uh, MD, a couple of the Prince's Trust rock galas. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were pretty great events and I always remember being impressed, and, and the guys in the band, too, were saying, you know, one of the best singers we had up here tonight was Tony Hadley. And you're talking, you know, that we, we had Phil Collins up, yeah. and, uh, yeah. uh, George Michael, and Elton John, you know. And Tony just can stand shoulder to shoulder. Well, actually, he, he stands head and shoulders over everybody. He's one of the biggest men I've ever met. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, he and I talked about that. He and I are close in height, so I want his leather jacket from Live Aid. I don't think he's going to give it and to me, And the though. Dwarf. Yeah, So he is literally the tallest guy I've ever met uh, on the rock side. Everybody's kind of uh, not really that tall, but it is what it is.
1: Well, we are. We're just short giants, you know,
0: (laughs) or very tall midgets. You choose, Steve. Yeah, there you go. Gizmodrome, it comes out later this week into next week. Mark King, lead man of level 42, Gizmodrome. I cannot wait for the release of the new CD.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. Me too. September 15th is uh, D-Day, and uh, I just hope that people enjoy listening to the record as much as we enjoyed making it.
0: You've got support from us. You are welcome on this show anytime you like, Mark.
1: That's very kind of you, Steve. Thank you very much, man.
0: Love to you and all your listeners. Uh, Thank you so much.